0: It's a great privilege at these events to um, not only be together in brilliant fellowship and worship. Thank you so much all of you for the, the great Hannah. Thank you so much. Really great worship. But also it's a wonderful privilege to gather to the Word of God. It was a real cruel reminder to me of late when I heard that uh, quite a number of our churches in Uttar Pradesh and in East India had been um, attacked by groups of, of police. And um, the homes of the leaders um, were uh, ransacked. And the thing they, they really were after was to remove all the Bibles they could find. And I suddenly realized, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of what we have in the Word of God. And so it's a wonderful privilege to now hand over to Ali Scott. Ali is just with her whole team has launched uh, Redeemer Church in Chestler Street. I hope we're going to hear some of that. I've not heard all the news, so I hope you're going to weave it in somewhere here, but I'll be waiting. <laughs> if you haven't, <laughs> I'm just going to add a point in his notes. Hang on one second. But uh, can we give him a great big share? Ali, yeah. Thank yeah. you.
1: Excellent. How am I sounding? Loud? Sound loud to me. Great. It's so great to be here. And uh, well, rather than try and weave it in, I'll just give a little bit of a um, <laughs> just put it there at the, right at the outset. Right. Um, so yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, I've been um, well, I've been in, in Emanuel Church in Durham for uh, the last seven or so years, seven and a half years. And about four, year, four years ago, in January, we moved my wife and I and our one our son then uh, moved to Chester Street, which is about six miles north of Durham. Uh, to plant a a new congregation of Emmanuel in that town, which started um, three and a bit years ago. And um, last summer, God spoke very clearly to us, uh, with the help of Mark Jones, uh, that uh, we should um, kind of reposition ourselves, as it were, and uh, launch out as an independent church, still part of the Reasons Beyond family, um, but independent of Emmanuel and uh, so we did that. Um, last Sunday was our first Sunday, Redeemer Church, Chester Street. Um, and uh, it's great. And God, God, God is so faithful. I think that's, that's all I can say. God is so faithful because uh, maybe it's just me, and this will probably come in a little bit later on. But uh, church leadership scares me at times. Churches are scary places at times, and they're hard places. Um, and yet whenever we step out and we, hear, we respond to his call he's faithful he gives us what we need uh, you feel ill-equipped and then he equips you by his spirit which is great so a little encouragement there um, but yes yeah, it's, it's great there's about um, uh, 60 or so adults now meeting regularly 30 children um, and God's so good if you want one prayer request um, well unity as we press forward together in this new, new vision and kind of fresh values that we're, that we're imparting with the church but also um uh, I won't get into details, but we're looking at partnering with another organization uh, to be in a, in a building in a deprived area of the town, which we really feel God's spoken about, um, but we need him to open up, open up various financial doors for it to be a reality. Um, so yeah, if you could pray for that, be grateful. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, open, open the word of God. Thank you, Father, so much for your goodness to us. Wow, Lord, we've just been singing and reveling and enjoying you, and we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you have come to us. And that this morning we can sit in your presence. And thank you that as we open your word, Lord, it's an act of worship. Lord, worship doesn't stop. Lord, thank you that right now your presence, your Holy Spirit is here. And Holy Spirit, we we pray the words of that first song. Let your word move with power. Let what's dead come to life. Come, Holy Spirit, breathe upon us. Breathe upon us. Lord, take my words. Those that are prepared, those that aren't yet prepared. And God, would you speak into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Um, hopefully you've got a Bible somewhere, even if it's on your phone. If you could turn to Isaiah, uh, that would be great. Chapter uh, 61, um, verse 10. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, and we'll go from there. But as you, as you turn, uh, let me tell you a story. There was once a girl who, was, uh, who basically had made a mess of her life, and she felt rejected, She felt alone in the world. She felt like no one really cared about her. She felt ashamed. And she'd walk around uh, with her head bowed down, hoping that no one would really notice her because of the shame that she felt. She felt dirty. She felt that no one cared. At the same time, in another country, there was a king. And this king was in search of a wife. And uh, he was traveling the world looking for his wife. And then he came upon this girl with her head down, all ashamed. And he had compassion on her. And he reached out to her in his love. And he proposed to her and asked her to be his wife. Even though everyone else despised her, he saw what no one else saw and he drew her to himself. And on their wedding day, they shared their vows. And uh, this, this girl said to this king... All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. At that moment, all of her shame, all of her filth, all that she felt about about herself was placed upon him. He took it. And then he responded, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. At that moment... All of his riches, all of his wealth, all of the majesty that he had as king was placed upon this girl. This is the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. This is the truth that God, the king of the universe, the one who flung the stars into space, has come down and he has sought out a wife, he has sought out a bride, and he has sought you. He has sought his church to be his bride and all the filth that we as human beings, as the church have, has been placed upon him as he died on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. He took it all. He took your shame, he took all the the stuff, all your failures, all the mess that you've made, he took it and we get all of his riches, all of his blessings, all of his innocence, all of his life. It is the great exchange that stands at the centre of human history. And it's the great exchange of the gospel that we, as the church, have been caught up in. And so as we turn to these verses in Isaiah chapter 61 what I want to do today and what I feel God wants us to look at is this great gospel it's the bread and butter really we many of us are leaders here it's the bread and butter that we uh, live by day by day and you might think oh this is so simple but it's one thing to know it it's another thing to live stunned by it to live in the wonder of it and to allow that to affect all that we are as humans, as individuals, but all that we are in our leadership as well and all that we do and, and, and are as churches. Because the implications, if we first see the delight that God has for us and then we allow that delight to, to, in, in his bride to so influence us that we see the church through those eyes, then it will, it will radically affect how we live on the day-to-day in our churches and how we lead our churches. And so let's read These verses together. Verse 10 of Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth... Brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called. My delight is in her. And your land, married, for the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You will put the Lord in remembrance. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Uh, these verses form part of the wider narrative of Isaiah, and again, many of us will know this. But just to just to put it in its context, the first. Um, uh, 30, 39 chapters of Isaiah are very much focused on the contemporaries of Isaiah at the time. That's those living in the sixth century, sorry, 8th century BC uh, with, with the threat of the northern Assyrian empire looming. And he speaks words of, of challenge and encouragement in that context. And then chapters 40 through to chapter 55, Isaiah sort of gets projected forwards into the time of the Babylonian exile, um, and gives, prophetically gives words of hope and life to the people as they're in exile um, two centuries later and uh, seeks to, to point them towards the, the, the glory and the greatness of God and the hope they have in God at that time. And then the final section, chapter chapters 56 to 66, that we find ourselves in today, are uh, generally deemed to not be seen to be attached to one particular historical context, but are words of of life and hope to the universal people of God who are waiting for the promised salvation of God that is to come. And so that's where we find ourselves. And in this last section, uh, the, the first part of it is pretty gloomy. Chapters 56 to 59 are pretty gloomy words. They're dark words of of judgment and of of a reminder of the sin of humanity um, at the time and in all times. So chapter 59, really, this onslaught reaches its climax, and we get things like this. Verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 7, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Verse 13, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Verses 14 and 15, justice is turned back. Truth is lacking. In other words, these people are not in a good place. In other words, these people... We, humanity, are in the place of that girl in the story where uh, there is judgment and there is condemnation over our lives because of what we've done and we feel like we feel alone. We feel rejected and condemned. But then into that context, we get some of the most beautiful verses we didn't read today. Some of the most beautiful verses when we understand that context in in chapter 59, verses 17 and 18, where it says this, where God steps in. The Lord saw it and it displeased him. He's displeased. That's the reality. There was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then, his own arm. Brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. In other words, God saw the mess and he got his hands dirty. God saw the mess and stepped in himself. He clothed himself with the garments of righteousness and salvation and, and, and said, I'm going to come and I'm going to do something about this situation. I am actually going to take this girl who has made a mess of her life, representing humanity, and I'm going to make her mine. I'm going I'm I'm to elect, I'm going to choose, I'm going to take hold of her and bring her into relationship with me and she will be utterly transformed. And then fast forward to the verses we read today, two chapters later, and we read these verses, verse 10, sorry. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Who's the speaker here? It's Jesus. It's the promised Messiah, the anointed king who is to come uh, 700 years later, who was to come and he is now clothed. God has clothed his own son, Jesus Christ, in the garments of righteousness and salvation. He has come to earth to do something about it. The way that God has come to save is through the person of Jesus Christ. And the means is his death on a cross. And verse 11 continues, As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest, with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The way that he's clothed, the way that Jesus Christ is clothed with these garments of salvation and righteousness is like a bridegroom or a bride getting ready for their wedding day. Now, I know you can't tell it today of how wonderfully dressed I am and how how, I had a haircut yesterday as Fousey will uh, testify to and... uh, (laughs) And I wasn't even made to have a haircut by my wife. I did it on my own accord. Normally she has to force me there. So, um, but uh, actually, I don't generally spend very long getting ready in the mornings. Uh, and I'm normally rushing out of the house and all the rest of it. But on my wedding day, something very strange happened. <laughs> Not only did I take at least 30 minutes in the morning getting ready and clean. I may, might have even shaved, I don't know. But about three months before that day, I chose what I was going to wear on that day. I've never done that ever again since. I went and chose my suits and what colour, even what colour tie I was going to wear. I had to match. And it was what weird behaviour. And Claire, my wife, took even longer. She didn't need to, obviously. She wouldn't have done anything, but she did, and she had about at least two different hairstyle changes in the build-up. So I'm told. Two two different dress changes. It's as if something important was going on on that day. And of course it was. Marriage covenant was entered into. It was a commitment. Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, was the Lamb who was slain. What's that that verse saying? It's saying that He was so committed, before he even made you, before he even brought humanity into existence, he knew that he was going to call his bride and he prepared himself with the blessing of the Father and and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to come to the earth and to die on that cross and to make you his. And it means that he is committed to you because he's made a covenant to you which he cannot break. He is for you and not against you. if we go back to verse 10, it gets even more astonishing. It says, I will great, this is Jesus speaking, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with these garments of righteousness and salvation. Let's just pause to think what's going on here. Jesus Christ is rejoicing and exalting in God the Father because he's about to be clothed in these garments of righteousness and salvation. But what were these garments of righteousness and salvation that he put on? It was death on a cross. It was nails through his hands. It was whipping and torture. And he did it because he wanted his bride. He did it because he saw the mess we were in and said, I'm going to get hold of them and I'm going to make them mine. He so loves you. He rejoices in it. Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That is you. That is the church. That is the prize that was set before him. The joy that means he could rejoice even in the midst of the pain and the agony of the cross. He is rejoicing because he knows what the prize is. The prize is a beautiful bride. The prize is the church. The church was on his mind as he endured the cross. <laughs> this, this, you were on his mind. Sometimes we can, cor- and it is corporate, of course, but we need to individualize it as well. You were on his mind as he endured the cross. He, he wanted you, he wanted that great exchange to go to take place. 62 verse one, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Do you see the flow of the story? Chapter 59, God decks himself out with righteousness and salvation. Chapter 61, verse 10, he clothes Jesus with those garments of righteousness and salvation. Chapter 62, verse 1. It's humanity, it's the church, it's the people of God who are clothed with these garments of righteousness and salvation. As Jesus dies on the cross, prophetically being projected into that context, that is what is going on here. And, and the, the, the aim, the ambition, the desire, the reason why Jesus dies on the cross is that he would have a people, he would have a glorious bride who is shining brightly with the righteousness of God, who is burning the salvation of God forth to the world around That's what the church is for. Jesus dies to get a bride and then put her on display. We're called to shine forth. All sorts of verses you could read for that, but we know the truth. We are called as church to shine forth with Jesus and the beauty and the glory of Jesus. That was his ambition. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, just as a husband is called to love her wife, that he might, his wife, sorry, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, not just to the world, but to himself. Wow, to himself in splendor. That's amazing. I mean, God is the matchless one of matchless splendor, and somehow the church being presented to God is full of splendor in God's eyes. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That girl is now made full of splendor in the eyes of God, holy, without blemish, spotless and beautiful. So the church, the bride, is called to display the righteousness of God, the beauty of God. But also she's called to receive the bridegroom's delight. Verse 2. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. This bride gets a new name. It's a name change. A name change in the Bible means a complete, tr- completely transformed Identity. It means this, this girl who didn't think much of herself can now have confidence and authority because of the name that is spoken over. It's a new name. No longer do you go back and live in the past of who you once were, but now you live in who you are, declared, spoken by God. And what is that name? From forsaken to my delight is in her. God's delight is in his bride. And we need to let that sink in. And we're going to, obviously it's in one sense and in the main sense it's corporate but for it to be corporate it also needs to be individual because there's no point in us understanding it yet yeah, the way we're going to understand it corporately is by understanding it first individually and for our churches to understand it and live in it leaders need to understand and live in it we've already heard uh, the prophetic word earlier from mike kind of feeds into this and we've just got to let it sink in And so that's what I want to do now, just just for a few moments, just as leaders. just Whatever we need, whatever we call us, we're all leaders in this room, even if we don't think we are. We're people of influence in this room. As we go forth from here back to our church, you're going to influence others by the Spirit of God, so you're a leader. And as you go back, you need to understand your identity. There's that story of the aging pastor... Uh, who was asked what the, uh, he was a scholar and a professor as well, and he was asked what the the deepest theological truth that he'd come to know in his years was. And his response was, Jesus loves me, this I know. (laughs) For the Bible tells me so. This man had understood that maturity wasn't finding a different sea to swim in, but maturity was scuba diving in the one sea of God's love. And he went scuba diving. And he realized there was more and more and more. Even an uh, elderly uh, uh, theologian, pastor, someone who knew well, who respected, there's still more. There's still more. This is the core truth. And as leaders, whatever age we are, wherever, there's still more. I believe God would say there is still more for us. Today, there is still more delight for you to revel in. There is still more enjoyment of my love for you to have. There is still more. And for some reason, well, I know the reason, one of the reasons, as leaders, we're some of the worst at doing this. We're some of the people who have the biggest identity issues. I certainly do at times and I know, I know it happens and that's why leaders uh, shrug in all sorts of ways including myself because we have the biggest identity issues at times. It's because we are the worst at living with a performance gauge over our heads and so all of our insecurities are put out before us day by day by day and rather than looking at our new name, my delight is in her, we look at our insecurities and our failings and how bad our church is doing at the moment. Or how our church is not growing compared to the church down the other side of the country or down the road. And we need to hear, my delight is in you. My delight is not just, or not, it isn't in how well your church is doing. It doesn't go up and down with the success or the failure of your church. It is in you, it is in you, it is in you. Enjoy my love. Jesus said in John chapter 15, abide in my love. That means remain. That means just stay in it. Do not get out of it. Live in it. Abide in it. So we need to do that. (laughs) It means I get up in the morning. I abide in the love. Before I think about, oh, I've got to have that difficult conversation or about the criticism I received yesterday from those members of my church or the weight of responsibility I'm feeling right now as I lead in this thing or whatever it might be. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Use whatever verse you want, use whatever helps you, but abide in the love and stay in that throughout the day. Let's not graduate to other seas. It might just be me, but I find it easy to graduate to to strategies for church growth or to dreams of future church planting or to theological discussions of all sorts of issues and my mind can be consumed with the stuff of church life that I forget it should be consumed with the love of Jesus. These things are important. Of course, we need to think about church life. I'm not, it's, not a, I'm not, it's not a simplistic, dualistic one or the other thing. It is both and, but the priority, the focus, needs to be the love of Jesus for us as we do these things, which compels us and motivates us and gives us all that we need. As we've relaunched as Redeemer, I found this a real challenge because, man, it's been busy. And my insecurities have come right out before me Again. and church is hard yes it's, it's joyful at times it's great and it's, but at times it's just hard my delight is in you come on come on hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus it's quite ironic really Jesus says over his bride, your name is my delight is in her, and yet those called to lead the bride often discount them from that name, themselves from that name. We do, and it's like, my delight is in her, but maybe not me because, well, I'm not doing a very good job of this right now. Or this thing's happening in my life, or this thing's happening with, with my children, or this thing's happening in my marriage, and, and, and it's hard, and, and there's... Oh. No, we need to work through this stuff. There's stuff to work through, but in it all, we know that God does not change. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. He chose you in Christ at that time, and he said, I'm your, you are mine, you are mine, I am yours as well. I've committed myself to you. His delight is in us when we're leading a difficult meeting. His delight is in us as we're really struggling in preparation for that sermon, thinking we have nothing substantial to offer our people. His delight is in us as we receive criticism from members in our church. His delight is in us when our church doesn't seem to be growing. His delight is in us when we're overwhelmed by all that needs to happen. His delight is in us. I think you get the point. But if we're going to be a church planting movement, which we are, and we want to be increasingly, if we're going to take the call that Steve gave us last time to to, to go to the unreached people groups and and to lay down our lives afresh, we're only ever going to do that if we understand this stuff. Because why are we going to want to go small and risk failure by stepping out in that way or planting that church if I think I'm getting all my security and identity from this big church I'm leading right now or this stability that's in my life? We'll be willing to take risks. We'll be willing to go to places that others or we in the past haven't wanted to go if we understand his delight is in us, not in our performance. And so there's a fresh call from the bridegroom this afternoon. Abide in my Love, get scuba diving in the infinitely deep seas again. God delights in you. God loves you. God is utterly committed to you. You, you. And then, as we understand that personally, we then lift our eyes up to the bride and we hear the call of God, of Jesus over the bride. Verse five, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you, church, over you, beautiful bride. With all of its messed up nature, God rejoices. Think of that bridegroom at the front of the church as the bride comes in. And the face of the bridegroom isn't normally indifferent. It's not normally I should have stayed in bed for an extra hour. It is delight. It is wow. Wow. And Jesus goes, wow. This is my church. Wow. This is what I died for. This is the prize. This is what I've given myself for. Wow. I rejoice. I delight over you with singing. I'm going crazy over you, church. And then he turns to us, those entrusted with the bride. And he says, share my heart. Share my heart. Go wow, wow! Sunday morning as we look wow, this is who Jesus died for. As we go and plant a new church and we get one or two people get wow, Jesus is on the move. We hear stories from around the world what God is doing. Wow, God, you, you gave yourself for this bride. Wow, and the amazing thing is the honeymoon never ends. With Jesus, it's like that honeymoon, intense love, over and over. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't think, "Oh, this commitment's what is for." I'm for you. I'm for you. I know I delight in you. And then, well, jumping back a little bit, actually, verse three, we missed out a verse, which is beautiful. <laughs> you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Now, just make sure we read these words rightly. If you read it too quickly, you think, so God is a crown on us. Or you know, the verse, like, like Isaiah uh, chapter 28, verse 5 says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. So God's going to be our crown. Wow, that's amazing. That's God, why do you want to crown us? But no, the bride, the people of God are, are crowning him. What? A crown is like a sign of... Of, of authority, of power, of glory, of honour. It's shown off with pride. It shows someone is king. So this is saying, church, you are displaying the glory of God. Church, you are showing that Jesus is king. You're his crown. And even more amazing, you're not on his head. You're in his hand. And that means he's protecting you and he's, he's, he's guarding you. He, he doesn't want to risk just putting on his head because we don't want you to... He, he's, he's got you. And so that is an, that is an amazingly uh, securing thing. And is that a word securing thing? Encouraging thing? Strengthening thing? Because it means when I think the church isn't going very well or things like, Jesus has got the church. He's got his bride. He's committed to his bride. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is with us, he's for us, and he loves his bride. John Calvin says this, he calls the church God's crown because God wishes that his glory should shine in us. And in that, it is proper that we should behold and admire the inconceivable goodness of God. Since, notwithstanding that we are by nature filthy and corrupted and more abominable than the mire of the streets, he puts even strong, more strongly in the United, yet, He adorns us in such a manner that he wishes us to be the diadem of his kingdom. It's strengthening, it's encouraging, it's also really challenging when we hear this truth as leaders. Because how are we viewing our churches right now? Because the call isn't to love the church in the abstract. To love the abstract bride out there, oh, we love. The, of course, we love the church. The call isn't to love the church you want your church to be. The, the, you know, the, oh God, this great vision, this beautiful display. And, the call is to love the people that God has put before you right now, and that's hard. I don't know if this is being recorded. I love my church and they're great people. <laughs> but at times it's hard because just as the, it's really hard for them to love me sometimes, I'll tell you that. And it's hard because there is this, because we're imperfect and we're messy and we're getting through this together. We're all on journeys together, even as leaders. We need to make sure our churches know that we're not up there and we've got it sorted. We're journeying with them. And, it, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book Life Together if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we've been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. This applies in a special way to complaints often heard from pastors and zealous members about their congregations. A pastor should not complain about his congregations, certainly never to other people, but also not to God. A congregation has been entrusted to him in order that he should not become its accuser before God and men. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God, his bride. <laughs> These people that we're leading are not problems to solve, And they're not people to use. They're the people Jesus died for, he gave himself for, who he delights over, he rejoices over like that. Bridegroom, bride image. And he says to us, share my heart, share my delight. And that doesn't mean in the good times only. It means in the successes and in the failures, in the criticism and in taking. I mean, Jesus did it by dying on a cross. He rejoiced and then the people he was dying for killed him. We're never going to get it that bad. (laughs) Probably. If that's our mindset, if we don't devalue the bride, but we rejoice and delight in the bride as Jesus delights in the bride, then it will radically affect how we view our task as leaders. And that brings us to our final verses in verse 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. In the context, I believe we, when we read words like Jerusalem and Zion in these verses, we're talking about the people of God over all time, uh, including the Jews of the Old Testament and those who believe in Christ now. So this is the people of God and the, 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 the ultimate aim is that Jerusalem, the people of God, will be established as a praise in the earth. But in the meantime, there's watchmen on the walls. Watch men, watch women, watch people on the walls. <laughs> and that means that's us. I think it's every Christian, really, but I think it's particularly for those who have entrusted with this city of Jerusalem, with the people of God. We're called to, to pray and prophesy and act and give ourselves just as Jesus did. I don't know if you noticed, again, the parallelism. I don't think Isaiah's not silly. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's deliberate. And so. Um, in chapter 62, verse 1, Jesus says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. And then um, verse 7, we are called, sorry, verse 6, we are called to never be silent and to take no rest and give him no rest until Jerusalem is established for Jerusalem's sake. In other words, just as Jesus gave himself, gave himself, gave himself. Utterly on the cross for the people of God for His bride. So now we're called to give ourselves, radically give ourselves, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Just as we heard from Rodney, there is this call on us to lay our lives down. And I think we can do a lot of church leadership without laying our lives down for the bride. We can we can have our meetings, we can do our things, and we can put and we can and obviously we've got to have barriers. We've got to but if we're going to reach the unreached people groups, if we're going to plant more churches, if we're going to see wonderful things happening that we believe are going to happen, if we're going to see revival, revival's going to take it out of us. hope you know that when we pray for revival, we're praying, God, I'm dying to myself now. Um, this is a prayer of death to me and life to you, just as Jesus did, life to you and to your bride. Radical call of Jesus. We will take no rest in our action and we will give God no rest in prayer until the ultimate goal of the people of God being established as a praise in all the earth is accomplished. Here's the goal in the words of Revelation 21, verse two. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a meeting, as a nice little gathering, prepared as a bride, adorned for husband. That means ready or chapter twenty-one, nine to eleven, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And jumping down to verse eleven, she had the she had the glory of God. Its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal in other words the end point is the great wedding day that's where we're headed that's that's where our eyes and leadership should be set not on this next little thing or this we've got to have the big picture in mind the great wedding day we're headed for when the bride will be ready for her husband and she will meet her husband and it will be a glorious celebration which goes on and on and on and we'll be caught up in his delight fully and we'll enjoy him face to face forever this is, this is encouraging. It should stir our hearts. It should, it should strengthen us, but it should also challenge us because um, it means that our role as in leadership are, I think, one of the primary ways of thinking about our role in the church right now is to betroth um, the, the church to Jesus, is to awaken faith and love in the people of God for Jesus because that's what they're going to be doing forever. It's not just to have some nice people around but it's, it's, to, it's to have a people who are on fire and uh, have a fiery love for Jesus. We're going, to be, we're going to be rejoicing with him forever. So let's get the church ready now. And that might sound obvious. And it is obvious on one, on one hand. But as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about me and my life, I think mm, there's some tweaks here about how I view the church and what I do that probably needs to happen. Because the bride is prepared. Verse two, she was prepared as a bride adorned for a husband chapter 19 verse 7 for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready she's going to be ready is the bride ready is the bride that you're the part of the bride you're leading right now including yourself because you've got to lead yourself first are you ready for him to return. Are you, are you so excited? Is your, is your heart and mind so fixated on him and love for him and enjoying him that it won't be a bit of a shock to the system when he arrives? Obviously, there will be a bit of shock. I think we'll, <laughs> I think for all of us, but relatively speaking. Paul thought of his own ministry this way. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, Corinthian church, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure version to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's our role, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ in our churches. That, we, that it hurts us, it pains us when people are, are, are veering away from that. That we say, come back, come back, see Jesus as your husband. I'm betrothing you to him. Or the parable of the, of the ten virgins. could Look at that. We're not going to really look at it. we out of time. But the ten virgins. And five weren't ready. Why they didn't have their, their, their oil for their lamps? And, 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 and the bridegroom's response was, I never knew you. And so this means, as I was thinking about this, three pitfalls as we draw close to an end uh, of how we need to maybe three, three pitfalls for our task in church leadership that I think we can fall into if we don't. Live in this 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 reality of preparing the church for the bridegroom to come as his bride. Number one, church can become program based, not people focused. Ooh, it's really hard, especially when you're starting a church because you want to get the stuff going. You want all these things. You want people, and we can get these programs and these meetings, and we miss the point sometimes. Actually, it's about loving people, it's delighting in the people, and it's about the individuals growing in maturity in Christ. In a book, The Trellis and the Vine, uh, we read these words, structures don't grow ministry, or you could say people, any more than trellises grow vines. And most churches need to make a conscious shift away from erecting and maintaining structures and towards growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. Structures are needed, obviously, we're not... But how are the structures there to help disciples making disciples? If they're not, get rid of them, change the structures, do something different, strip it down, make it simpler, whatever needs to happen. Secondly, preaching becomes how-to's rather than Jesus magnifying. If we want people who are on fire for Jesus, ready for the bridegroom to come home, then we're not going to get that by people hearing week on, week out, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, do more of this, do more of it. Oh my goodness gracious me. We're going to have it by saying, wow, Jesus is amazing as they leave our churches. Not got to that point yet, but if you, if you have got to that point, you are having people shout that as they leave, let me know the, the keys. Um, but that's what we want, Jesus magnifying, not simply how-tos. And thirdly, leadership becomes effort-based rather than prayer-driven. Because we can't prepare the bride. <laughs> We can't get her ready by saying, come on, just more of this and a bit more of that. We need to get on our knees. Our leadership of the bride needs to be on our knees because only God can make the bride ready. Only God by his Holy Spirit can come and do a work which says, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. I want more of you. I need more of you. I love you. And so the call from the bridegroom to us this afternoon is twofold. Number one, to receive his delight afresh in us. Holy Spirit. Praise God, his delight is in me. And secondly, to share his delight in the bride that he's called us to lead, seeing our primary task as preparing her for a great wedding day. The bridegroom gave his life for the bride, even to death on a cross. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Revelation 22, verse 17 the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If we could stand, maybe if the band could come. We're just going to wait for a moment. I just want the Holy Spirit just to come. Uh, then I'll probably hand over to someone else. But <sighs> Holy Spirit, come. Maybe put your hands out before God. It's, it might be that delight that you need to know yourself right now of God in you. Or it might be something about how you're viewing your church and your responsibilities in the church. and Just tweaks that need to be made. The Holy Spirit wants to come and just renew your thinking. So, Holy Spirit, we say come. Come, Lord. We want to be a bride who is ready. We want to be a people who know the delight of the bridegroom and who share the delight of the bridegroom in the bride. We long for the church, including us, to be a radiant display of the glory and beauty of Jesus. And we say, we need you, Holy Spirit. So come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.